The following is a special sports presentation of UltimateSportsTalk.com. A swing and a drive to deep right, away back, UltimateSportsTalk.com now presents the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show, an in-depth look at the Cincinnati Reds and the Cleveland Indians. For the fifth consecutive year, we examine the teams and their progress throughout the baseball season. And now, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. And good evening, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. I'm Dave Mitchell. Glad to have you along this evening here on UltimateSportsTalk.com as we sit back and talk about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds. And it was not a good week for the Cleveland Indians, nor was it a good week for the Cincinnati Reds. The Indians, and you're going to hear me go off on them tonight, they are not doing very well. They've lost three of their, or they've won only three of their last ten, and they were one and five on the week. And quite honestly, I think it's time to do some major shaking up in the wigwam in Cleveland. The Reds, on the other hand, they were just two and four this week, and they lost a heartbreaker yesterday. Well, it's time now to bring in our resident Reds expert, Mark Donahue, to talk about what's going on with the Cincinnati Reds on tonight's Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. And Mark is on the road right now. Mark, where are you? I'm in uh, western Pennsylvania. Uh, as a matter of fact, if my if my voice fades, it's because I'm kind of surrounded by mountains at the moment. But uh, beautiful drive, but coming back from New York, and uh, where I was in New York, fortunately, I did not go to City Field and watch the Reds lose three straight, but we will get into that in a few minutes. You know, that last game yesterday, as far as the Reds were concerned, Mark, was a kind of a vintage Cleveland Indians loss. The Reds normally don't lose a game when it comes to defense, and yesterday they did it. They sure did, and uh, there's so many things wrong with this team that we've been talking about all year, and against uh, inferior pitching, that they're probably a 500 team. When they face a team like New York that's got good pitching, but also uh, in a big boys park, a city field is a huge ballpark, and there is yet, I'd say, five or six balls that would have been out of a great American ballpark. Uh, they were caught on the warning track in New York. And that, that that's a big problem for the Reds. They just don't have the offensive power to keep up. Well, not only do they have the offensive power, but... You know, they've done a situation here, Mark, that you and I have talked about that, you know, if if they don't play perfect baseball, a lot like the Indians have to, and I'll get into the Indians here in just a moment, but if the Reds don't play perfect baseball, the type of baseball that wins games for them, they, they just aren't going to win. Yes, and the shortstop play, uh, Suarez is just, he, he's, He's abominable, the shortstop. That's all you can say. The guy makes an error a game, and he's cost him two games already. I mean, literally, his error has cost the Reds a game uh, twice, and uh, he, he doesn't get the balls. Uh, he's not a shortstop, and unfortunately, that's the only place he can play unless they put him a third uh, and then move Frazier to the outfield. But um, the, 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 the laundry list of things that we've been talking about about the Reds really all year and dating back to last year, it hasn't changed, Dave. It has not changed. It's the same broken record. And unless the Reds decide, going to make some big changes at the trade deadline, 
this is what Reds fans can expect over the next couple of years. You know, I was interested, and I've seen this happen before, but I thought, and I have hammered Brian Price a lot throughout this season, Mark, but yesterday I thought he pulled off an ingenious move when they had the bases loaded and nobody out in that inning, which the Mets came up and scored the winning run. But he brought in Skip Shoemaker to play the infield, and they went with two outfielders. But what kind of amazed me was the fact of what Chris Welch said on the broadcast he thought the two outfielders, Jay Bruce, along with Marlon Bird, were too deep. But I thought it was great the way that he brought the infield and put the four infielders between first and second base, and it almost paid off for them. Yeah, it, it did almost pay off. And uh, at that point, bases loaded, nobody out, you know, in the bottom of the 13th inning, you're going to lose that game 99 times out of 100. So he probably could have bought, brought the entire infield in, and it would have mattered. Uh, but, you know, that wasn't, uh, the Reds, I, I don't know, I didn't hear at the end of the game on, on the play Votto made where he jumped for the ball, if they made it an error or a base hit. I didn't see that. But it was clearly a play that Votto, I think, himself would say he should have made. He jumped up and got the ball, but then he dropped it. And they would have had a force at home. Again, not that that would have saved the game necessarily, but certainly would have been helpful. But uh, that, that was a, if they did charge him with an error, that was the second error of the game. Earlier, Granderson hit a ground ball to the right side and it went right through about it, right under his glove. So, you know, it's more of the same. You're absolutely right. If the Reds don't play a perfect game, they lose. And there's just not a lot of perfection in that team right now. No, and that brings us to the Indians. But let me go over the records right now. The Reds are 34-40. and 40. On the season, they're in fourth place, 16 and a half games behind St. Louis. There, for all intents and purposes, Mark, they're they're done as far as the division is concerned. They were two and four last week. They did go five and five in their their last ten. And before we move on to the Indians, because I know I'm going to spend a lot of time talking about them, Devin Mesoraco had surgery today, and from what I understand, it was a successful surgery. And but he is still out for the season. Have you ever heard of a player going under surgery and they said, "Gee, it wasn't successful." <laughs> every, every one of them, they say, is successful. And then, you know, eight months later, when we forgot it was successful, something goes wrong again. Uh, so it's. I guess. I guess we're not going to hear the doctor say, "Oh God, I screwed up. Sorry about that." Yeah. Well, uh, what was it? That old Bill Cosby routine? Oops. Yeah, oops, oops. <laughs> well, well, what do you mean, oops? <laughs> you know, the only time it's not successful is when the patient is dead. So, That's right. you know, if they manage to wheel them out of the and they're still breathing, I guess they are. It was a successful surgery, but you know, the Indians, Mark, I, I've got a lot to say about them tonight. Um, they're thirty-three and forty-one. They're playing Tampa Bay here this evening, as we've. Wow, we've got this show going on. They're in fourth place. They're 12 games behind Kansas City. They were 1-5 a week ago. They won only three of their last ten. Mark against Baltimore, they scored three runs in three games. They were shut out on the doubleheader yesterday. They didn't score a run. Now they've got Tampa Bay, in which they scored three runs in three games against Tampa Bay last weekend. There's no fire in this team. There's no urgency. Brandon Moss said he really doesn't blame the fans for being upset because it appears that this team doesn't have 
any heart. It looks like they're just they're just trying to play out the string. Mark, there's a few things that I can say about this team. I know you don't watch them as much as I do, but you know this this team act absolutely has no fire, no urgency, and I don't know where where in the world they can go go anywhere with this team now. Well, we've been talking about all year. The speculation has been the Reds are going to make a lot of moves at the trade deadline, but what would you uh, suggest or suspect the Indians might do? Well, what do I suggest? I mean, that's two separate questions. What do I suggest or what do I think they'll do? What do you suggest first and what do you think they'll do? I suggest right off the bat that they fire Mark Shapiro as president of the club, Chris Antonetti as general manager of this team, and Terry Francona as manager. Mark, I've got to be honest. I'm tired of this dog and pony show that the Indians have going every year. I'm just tired of it. Mark Shapiro as a manager or as a president of the ball club, as far as I'm concerned, he's a complete joke. He's been with this team now for over 20 years. He's seen the good, the bad, and the ugly, and they haven't done anything under his tutelage. Chris Antonetti as GM. I know Terry Francona came back because of his friendship with Chris Antonetti. But Chris Antonetti has had the same ball club on the field for the last three years and has done nothing to improve it. And Terry Francona, I'm I'm tired of the the old righty-lefty, let's do this, let's do that. For example, on Friday night, and, and I want to pose a question to you as far as this is concerned, Friday night in the game against Baltimore, the Indians were going into the eighth inning down three to two. They tied the ball game up at three to three in the eighth inning, and they had runners at first and third with two outs, and Urshela came to the plate. They pinch it for Urshela to bring up David Murphy, a left-handed hitter for the old lefty-righty routine. Mark, I guess my question to you is. The reason they did that was because of the lefty-righty, and they didn't want to put Urshela into a pressure situation, is how Francona explained it at the end of the game. Mark, how do you know a guy can respond to a pressure situation if you never put him in one? Well, I agree with you. And I think Major League Baseball teams today, unlike you know a generation ago, they baby these players both physically and emotionally and mentally to the point that the guys are afraid to perform under pressure. I mean, you're right. How do you know the guy's going to be any good with two out of the ninth inning unless you put him up there and find out? And think think of the advantage if he did come through. I mean, statistically, he's going to fail 70% of the time or more. But if he does succeed, my gosh, the, the, what, what that does to your psyche is is worth a lot. <laughs> you know, being an athlete, and, and you want to be in those pressure positions, and when the manager doesn't give you a chance, it's like, hey, he doesn't have confidence in me. Right, and, and that's what happened. And David Murphy went up to the plate, and on three pitches he struck out. Three pitches. So they go into the bottom of the eighth inning in that ball game, tied at three. You've got Corey Kluber on the mound, the reigning American League Cy Young Award winner, the guy who's the ace of your staff. He's thrown 96 pitches in seven innings. When he entered the eighth inning, he was down 3-2. to two. Now you enter the bottom of the eighth inning, and you're tied at 3-3. Three, three. And what is Francona's move? To pull Kluber out because he's close to 100 pitches and bring in Mark Zipchinski. 
Zepchinski immediately marked, not on three batters, but on three consecutive pitches. Just pitches. Gives up three base hits, and the Indians are down four to three. Why are you pulling Kluber at that particular moment? I never could, I didn't understand it when he did it. I don't understand it today. And these are the type of moves, Mark, that Francona has been making year after year after year. This being his third year. And Mark, to be honest with you, I'm tired of this. I want a manager that is not going to manage from the stat sheet and sabermetrics. I want a manager now that's going to manage from the seat of his pants and be a gut manager like we talked last year, or last week. This this has just gone too far. I know Francona's got a great record. I know he won world championships in Boston. But if the front office, Mark, is not going to get him the players, he's no good as a manager. Well, what would you do about it? Well, first of all, I'd fire, like I said, I would fire all three of them. Pardon me? Go ahead. I, I would fire all three of those. Then I would trade Carlos Santana because he, he's a bust. As far as he is just a, he's batting 200 this year. I think his batting average going into tonight's game was 203. He, he's just not cutting the mustard. I'd trade Brandon Moss. I would trade. Wait a minute. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You're, you're saying you're going to trade Santana. Who's going to take him, Dave? What are you going to get for him? I, to be honest with you, Mark, I, at this point in time, I don't care. Yes, but that is, you know, from a business, a business perspective, that that doesn't make any sense. He, he's got a big contract, and the same with Brandon Moss. You, there, there has to be a market for the front office to be able to no, deal. Well, really, Santana's got one year left on his deal, which is not that bad a contract. It's only four or five million dollars a year. That's all he's got left. Brandon Moss has got a contract of $7 million and he's a free agent at the end of the year. So you should be able to get rid of those two guys relatively easily. But my whole plan is to bring up Jose, uh, Jesus Aguilera to play first base for the rest of the year and Jerry Sands to bring him up and let him play right field. If you can get rid of Michael Bourne, if you can find somebody to take him, even if you've got to pay a portion of the salary, fine. Get rid of David Murphy. Get rid of Ryan Rayburn. Let's bring up Tyler Holt to play center field. Just write this year off. I don't think they've got to go through a whole rebuilding job, Mark, because I think the the pitching staff is good enough, and you've still got Kipnis, you've got Urshela, you've got Francisco Lindor, you've got Brantley to play the outfield, and you've got Gomes behind the plate. I don't think it's a full-blown rebuilding job, but they've got to get rid of these guys that they've tried to sell to the fans year after year as far as that's concerned. And let's bring in a manager now that that is going to manage to the talent instead of managing to the stat sheet. Okay, let let me challenge you on a couple things, okay? Uh, First of all, I think Frank Conner is a hell of a manager. and uh, But dealing with that posture that he's got is not his fault. I would agree with you to that standpoint that he he is only as good as the talent the general manager puts on the field. If you're going to get rid of Chris Antonetti, the problem you've got is there's a clause in Terry Francona's contract that allows him to leave the team if Chris Antonetti is let go by the team. So if you're going to let go of one, you're going to let go of the other. So I, I get what you're saying, but Antonetti has just proven that he cannot put the players on the field that Francona is going to be able to manage with his talent with. So if they're not going to bring the talent on the field for Francona to manage, they might as well just get rid of both of them. Yeah, but Dave, you said it's an 
It's Fran Cota's option he can leave. If they get a new manager or a general manager, they may not want, he may not want to leave. He may want to stay. And that's my point, that from a statistical perspective, you've got a great manager in Fran Cota. You even said last year you thought he, would, he, he had done a great job the last two years, and he has. So I, I don't think the problems with the Indians are on the field manager's shoulders. I think it's on the uh, general manager or the ownership. I, I agree with you there. Yeah, I would definitely say that, yes, it is in the Indians' best interest to try to keep Francona as a manager. My problem is is that they are unable to put anything on the field. And, and Antonetti has proven that he is just unable to put anything on the field, and Shapiro the same way. I, I guess if I had my druthers, Mark, I would rather keep... Terry Francona as manager and get rid of the other two. I just think it's an impossibility. It's gotten to the point where Shapiro and Frank and and, and Antonetti are just unable to put anything together. Even if you listen to the commercials, Mark, the commercials that the Indians have out now, I'm going to play a couple of them here in a second. They don't even talk about the team. They're talking about the atmosphere. They're talking about the new right field bar. They're talking about the tradition and the family atmosphere at the Indians ballpark. Progressive Field is Mike's new backyard. Downtown with no excuses. He's headed to the game for the crack of the bat and the roar of the crowd. He'll meet his friends at the corner bar, then kick back with an ice cold beer in his hand. Because this is his team and his summer at Progressive Field. Welcome back, Mike. It's going to be a great night. Summer is underway at the corner of Carnegie and Ontario, and the Tribe battles the A's on Friday, July 10th. Come out to the ballpark for Sugardale Dollar Dog Night. Get tickets now. Mike's at the corner, the only bar in town with a view from right field and 30-plus craft taps. Happiness. Summer is underway at the corner of Carnegie and Ontario. 10,000 fans will receive a Carlos Santana bobblehead courtesy of Discount Drug Mart on Wednesday, July 8th. You know what, Mark? I'm tired of family atmosphere at the ballpark. I'm tired of, of listening about this bar and take your kids to Playland and then go to the bar next door and get yourself hammered. I want to see a winning team on the ball field. That's what I want. And I know that's what the Indian fans want. They want to see a winning team on the ball, club, on the ball field. They don't want to hear about tradition and how great it is for Mark and Mary to take their kids to the field. It's going to be a great day. Who cares? Yeah, you know, Dave, I think you articulate what every baseball fan of a team that is not doing well feels. You get very frustrated, and I, I know I'm overstating this, but to some regard, it takes the fun out of summer in, in, in a small way. That it, 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 I don't even care now. The Reds come on. You, you know, there's a high probability they're going to lose. And that takes away all the excitement of waiting for the game and, you know, it's only an hour till the game starts and people get revved up. But I think that's the position every fan takes uh, who's an avid baseball fan. Uh, you have a team like the Pirates or the Royals or other, even the Reds, that they were in the playoffs for decades. It, it just wasn't fun to be a fan. And so I, I share and I hear the frustration in your voice. The problem is, I just don't think there's a lot of answers that are going to come in the short term. And I don't think firing the manager is the answer. Uh, and I don't know that Shapiro or Antonetti ha has a plan that is going to make that go away. 
But at the same time, let's assume that's true. You you can't simply blow it up because of the contract. It, it, it does. There's no there's no simple fix when teams like the Reds and the Indians get into a position like they are now. And I'll tell you another team that's in the same position, and that's the Philadelphia Phillies. This is a team that's in the World Series not that long ago. And look at them now. So when you make mistakes like they're being made in Cincinnati, Philadelphia, and Cleveland, the fans suffer, but unfortunately I don't see a quick fix for anybody. You know, the, the sad thing about it is, and I don't remember his name, but he was the... Colorado Rockies GM for years. And then you've got Neil Huntington, who's the GM of the Pirates. You've got Dave Dombrowski, who's the GM of the Tigers. And at the time that this gentleman was the GM of the Rockies, they had a very competitive ball club. And the Pirates are a very competitive ball club. The Tigers are a very competitive ball club. Now, those, play, those people all learned under... John Hart. All of them learned under John Hart in the late 90s on how to be the general manager of a ball club. How in the world did we let those three guys go and kept Shapiro and Antonetti? It just boggles my mind. Well, you can say the same thing about the Reds and what they've done. Anyway, I think the issue with a lot of these clubs, when you see them fail, uh, it's because of long-term contracts. And I look at the St. Louis Cardinals, and what they did with Albert Pools, they had the guts to get rid of a superstar Hall of Fame guy because he did not fit into their long-term pay structure. And they had the guts to pull the trigger, and look at him now. And then they kept him... Uh, that that team would not be in first place by, what, a million games? And it's, it's the same mistake these teams make year after year after year. And what's going to happen is the younger general managers, they're going to look at this and say, no mas. No, we're not, we're not going to do Joey Votto 10 years, $250 million. No, we're not going to do that. Joey, have a good life. We're going to move on. Uh, and if more teams did that, I think you would not have these long droughts of horrible performance that follows these contracts like the plague. And it does. I mean, you're, you look at the Angels. They, they beg, borrowed, and stole to give Josh Hamilton back to the Texas Rangers. Now, that may or may not pay off for them down the road. Josh Hamilton's going to be back this week, by the way. He'll be off, off the, de- the uh, disabled list. And he'll be back with the Rangers. But look what they've done with Albert Pujols. Has Albert Pujols lived up to that contract that they gave him? Well, this year he's had a pretty good year. But uh, no, and, and he hasn't lived up to it. But you can't expect him to. How old is he now? 36, 37 years old. He's on the downside of a great career. He's a great player. But it's it's understandable that a player's performance is going to decline in, into his you know, starting at 35. But everybody in the planet knows that. So why you give a guy a 10-year contract when he's 28? When you know he's going to be playing up the string in 10 years, and you've tied up all your money, and you don't have, have the, the resources to bring in the, uh, players that can help you win during that 10-year period. And so many of these teams have fallen into that trap 
And I really admire the Cardinals for what they did. And you know what makes me sick about the Cardinals, Mark? They're winning with Johnny Peralta at short and Mark Reynolds at first. Well, I think that's a tribute to them. They, you know, they lost Matt Adams, uh, what, what, a month ago now, or three weeks ago, something like that. And he was their most pr- productive offensive player. And what do they do? They go out and win, what, 17 out of 20? <laughs> yeah, and, and Mark Reynolds is being a productive hitter for them. Mark Reynolds was a productive hitter in Milwaukee, but when he was in Cleveland, he, he wasn't a productive hitter, and they gave up on him. Mark, that's the thing that bothered me about Sean Markham. Two weeks ago when the Indians got beat 17 to nothing, it was their chance to shine, Mark. It was the very next night after the Cavaliers had lost Game 6 to the Golden State Warriors. It was the first time all year that the, that the Indians had the stage to themselves. The Browns hadn't started yet. The Cavaliers were over. And what do they do? They go out and they lose 17 to nothing. They throw Sean Markham in that game. Now, Mark, the very next day, they release Sean Markham. They designate him for assignment. And what drove me crazy was, Mark, they knew. They had to know. The front office had to realize, and Francona, that if he had a bad outing, they were probably going to release him. Would you agree with that? Probably. I would say yeah. Okay. So then, why in the world, when Markham gives up six runs, and they're down six to nothing... In the second inning, would you take the guy out and blow the rest of your bullpen for that game? Just let the guy go out there and throw 100 to 125 pitches. If you know he's going to get released the next day, why do you waste all these pitchers and end up going into the ninth inning of that game having to throw Murphy and Rayburn in the ninth inning? Just let Markham throw. That's the stuff that drives me crazy. Well, I, I think that was probably out of courtesy to Markham, who's had a pretty good career in baseball. And I, I would I would dare say that if they knew he wasn't throwing, he was probably throwing 84 miles an hour in his fastball to get ripped that much. Uh, that was probably a favor to him, uh, as much as anything, a professional courtesy, rather than letting him give up 17 runs in, you know, himself in the first his last game. But, I, I, again, I understand the frustration. And in many cases, there there is no there is no explanation or right way to do it. And uh, I think every fan of every team has the same complaints that you and I are having this year with our, our respective teams. I was more optimistic about the Indians at the beginning of the year than I am now uh, for long term. But I'll tell you, both of these organizations are in deep trouble. And I meant to ask you. Uh, how's our friend Mr. Lindor doing? Uh, he, he, you know, he he was never the guy that I thought that they were going to be able to build a team around. You know that, Mark. But he's ba- he's respectable. He's batting two seventy, and he's playing a great shortstop. And I mean, he's playing a great shortstop, which is exactly what I wanted out of this kid. I didn't care if he was going to bat two hundred, two twenty, two fifty, or two seventy. Anything that he hit was going to be better than what Jose Ramirez was hitting at shortstop, which was another thing that they were trying to sell the fans on, that Ramirez was the shortstop. Well, everybody knew that wasn't the case, and Lindor is doing what I expected him to do. Now, they've got him batting second, which I don't think he's ever going to be a full-time number two hitter. If he is, that's great. That's fine. But I expect him to be a number nine hitter, 
as far as the Reds are concerned, you know, there's a lot of rumors going around about Cueto and about maybe Brandon Phillips and some other players. What have you heard lately about what may happen with the Reds? Well, the, 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 the most obvious trade chips for the Reds are Jay Bruce, Todd Frazier, uh, Aroldis Chapman, uh, Brandon Phillips, and, and of course, Johnny Cueto. And I think if the Reds pull the plug on one of those, they're going to pull the plug on all five. I, I don't see them... I don't see any advantage in going halfway with this. Because if you lose, right now Brandon Phillips is playing great baseball. And I, I think his, his value, you know, he's stolen eight bases already in the first half of the year. Trevor going to steal 20 bases, hit 10, 12 home runs, drive in 60, 70 runs, and hit you 290. And he's playing unbelievably good second base. So he's got some value right now. Yankees need a second baseman as an example. Uh, the, the big question mark I have is Joey Votto. And what could the Reds get for Votto? And do they need to get anything for Votto to make a trade of Votto worthwhile? Now, let me explain that. Uh, if you if you can trade Votto to a team that would pick up 75% of that salary, I'd make that deal. Because it's going to free up so much money for you in the next five or six or seven years that you're going to be able to build that team back up real quickly. And if you trade the other four or five players that I mentioned, you're going to have people in the minors that are going to be very, very good in a couple of years. And all of a sudden, the Reds are back on top in, in 19, or 2017 and 18. That sounds like a long way off for Reds fans. But, folks, it ain't going to happen any other way. You're not going to suddenly see these players uh, turn it around and... and the one that bothers me most, David, is Jay Bruce, because I'm a big Jay Bruce fan. But he's 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 got his batting average up to about two thirty eight right now, or something like that. Uh, but he he's just not the player that everybody thought he was going to be. And I think there's a team that could use him, particularly in the American League. But the, these players are moving dangerously close to being the Philadelphia Phillies of, of two or three years ago with an aging roster and no place to go but down. Well, as far as Joey Votto and Brandon Phillips, we've talked about Brandon Phillips ending up with the Yankees. That just makes the most sense. The only two places that I could think that Joey Votto could end up is Toronto, and actually, if you look at it, Mark, he could end up in Baltimore. Yeah, hey, that, that's a good destination point for him. Um, you know, there's a number of, of places I think Joey Votto could really be a guy who, you know, he, gets, he still has an on-base percentage of 400. Uh, he just doesn't have the power that, that he, everybody thought he was going to have, and that's not going to come back. But there, there's a place for Joey Votto, but is that <laughs> is it worth $25 million a year for nine more years? And I would think most teams are going to say, nah, not so much. Yeah, that would be a tough fit for Baltimore. Toronto, maybe maybe not so much. But, I mean, where else could you see him going that needs a first baseman and could fit that salary underneath their, their system? Well, I, I think it's a big market team, obviously. It's going to have to be the Angels. It's going to be at the, the Dodgers. Uh, you know, maybe even the Giants. I, maybe they would find a spot for him. Uh, but in the American League, as he gets older, he can always DH. And he's a guy who's going to hit, you know, 290 to 310, 320, 
hits your 15, 20 home runs. Uh, and there is a value of that, clearly. I mean, he's, he's a good player. But he's not a he's not a superstar in my opinion. He's a very very good player. But that that distinction between true superstar, like an Albert Pujols at his prime, that guy was a superstar. Uh, but there's not a lot of players like that. And, and Joey Votto is not Albert Pujols. Doesn't mean I don't like him, and he's not productive. But he's just not that kind of player. So the question is, how much will somebody pay for a, a number two hitter? That'll be on base 40% of the time and hit you 300. And hit 15 home runs. You tell me. I mean, wouldn't he fit well into the Indians? No. He makes too much. Well, yeah. But, uh, but I mean, statistically. Oh, that would be a fantastic pickup for the Indians. I mean, I, I would I would love to have him at first base. He's an automatic increase and a step up over Carlos Santana. Absolutely. But they'll never take him because of his salary. He, he just doesn't fit under their salary system. You know, Mark, what about the Mets? Is he a step over? Is he a step up over Lucas Duda? I don't know about that. You know, Duda. Uh, he, I think that guy has some upside to him. But you you hit the nail on the head, David. There is value for Bado. The question is, and let's use the Indians as an example. Let's say you could get Bado for. Twelve or fifteen million a year. Is it worth it? To me, it is. To them, it's not. But you don't know that. But that means that the that the Reds would have to eat ninety million dollars on that contract. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's not going to work. So the only way you can do it is you you tell the Indians, okay, if you want Bono, you also have to take Brandon Phillips, and then you have to decide what you're going to do with Kipnis or you know who's going to play second base. But in, statistically, Votto has value. The problem is the Reds way, way overpaid for that for that value, and uh, it, that's demonstrated by the fact that nobody would take his contract if they got any brains. Uh, that means he's overpaid. What about Johnny Cueto? I, I think Cueto will be traded. I think the Reds are going to get a lot for him. Uh, he, he's, in other words, the Dodgers pick him up. Uh, if I were the Reds, I would try and, and, and give somebody a world championship. But I'd want a lot for it. I'd say, here's Cueto, here's Chapman, and here's Bruce. Tell me what you got. That will win a World Series for somebody. Mark, do you see Cueto going anywhere that he would actually sign a contract and not enter free agency at the end of the year? Yeah, I, I, in fact, I think that's probably, if I was his agent... Uh, I would want that assurance from the team he's going to, uh, and, and I would get them an assurance. I mean, if you're Johnny Cueto, and you can go to Los Angeles and pitch for the Dodgers for the next 10 years of your career, my gosh, you, you could be in the Hall of Fame. And Because they're going to have a great team. And can you imagine a pitching staff with Cueto on it? I mean, that would be unbelievable how good they'd be. But you're going to see Detroit... You, I don't think Boston would take a chance on Cueto because they, they need more than Cueto. They, they need, you know, they're like the Reds. They need 20 pieces, not one. But you, you, if, you're, uh, if you're one or two players away, the Reds can give you those one or two players and give you a world championship. Because Cueto and Chapman going to a contending team, they're going to be in the World Series and probably win the World Series. 
if the rest of the team is as good like, like the Dodgers. I, I think the Dodgers are the best place for Cueto, long-term and short-term. Well, the reason I ask that is because would you trade him to a team like St. Louis or Pittsburgh inside the division with the chance of him signing a long-term contract with them and then having to face him five, four or five times a year? Uh, number one, I don't think the Pirates are a consideration. Now, the Cardinals may be, uh, and the Cardinals might be a team that would give you a, you know, would take on a short-term rental. I don't think he would sign long-term with St. Louis, I don't think. Uh, but, again, next year they're going to have Wainwright back with Cueto. I mean, if, you, if, 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 you're, if you're the Reds and you send Cueto to St. Louis, uh, you better be playing for the wild card for the next six or seven years. Yeah, that that's the reason I asked that question, because if they trade him to St. Louis and he signs a long-term contract, boy, the, the fans in the Cincinnati area are going to be extremely upset. What about Araldus Chapman? And you made mention of another guy earlier that you think may be on the trade debt, trade bait, and I didn't even think about him, Todd Frazier? Yeah, the, the Mets are interested in Todd Frazier, apparently, and, you know, he's having he's having one great year right now. He's probably going to hit 40, 45 home runs this year unless he completely falls off the, the planet. But uh, here's another team, I think, long-term, that would look at both Chapman and Cueto, and I think that they're – Actually, two teams. I think Miami could take them on. They can afford it. And Cueto in, in that market would be Cueto and Chapman. A Chapman from Cuba? Are you kidding me? That's perfect down there. And the other team is San Diego. I think San Diego is now invested enough. They're going to say, well, it, it didn't work this year, so we need two new pitchers. And those two guys off the Reds roster make San Diego and Miami if not this year, certainly next year, favorites in their division. Even, I think San Diego, again, there's been underperforming there this year, but uh, you put those two guys in, on that on that team and that pitching staff, and you get a chance to win that division. You know, I, I think that's where the Reds have the advantage over the Indians, Mark, is the fact that they do have players, they've got chips with value, where the Indians really don't. Yeah, I'm disappointed in that, and uh, when I was at the, at the rosters at the beginning of the year, I really thought Cleveland uh, you know, had a chance to be a contender all the way through. But what's been proven by both of these teams this year is they don't have anything in the minor leagues. There's just nothing down there. And unless you restock, you're, you're not going to come out of this for a long, long time. You can't do it by draft choice because it takes too long to develop. And most draft choices don't make it to the big leagues. No, and that and that's the thing. You know, the other thing that upsets me, Mark, is um, the fact that you know another thing that bothers me about the Indians is that their constant penchant for trying to show that this team has got so much tradition. And to be honest with you, Mark, the '70s and '80s for the Indians were terrible. The 60s for the Indians were pretty much, they were competitive, but they didn't win a division. They didn't go to the World Series in the 60s. The last time they went to the World Series prior to 95 was in 1954. And then before that was 1948. And they, tr they constantly want to harp on this tradition. But Mark, when I went to the Indians' website today, the highlights that I saw from the weekend were 
Cody Allen striking out the side yesterday in the seventh inning. Whoopee. Toru Murado, who got his first major league start at age 30 yesterday, struck out Manny Machado as the first batter of the game in the nightcap last night. And then the rest of the videos that they had, Mark, other than Terry Francona being thrown out of the game in the nightcap yesterday, were the 1995 Indians. You know, that's like saying, okay, we've got three highlights of the Reds' loss yesterday to the Mets, and the rest of it is, let's go back and highlight the 1975 and 76 Big Red Machine. There just is nothing on this website to promote this team that they have. And why? Because they don't have a team, Mark. That's what I keep saying. Mark Shapiro and Chris Antonetti have not done anything to build this team up, and it's just getting old, much like Walt Jockety in Cincinnati. He's done nothing to build this team up, and it's getting old, and I think the fans are really getting sick and tired of it. Well, they keep uh, harping on the great arms the the Reds have down in the minors, but have you heard about Robert Stevenson recently? Nothing. You're right. Absolutely nothing. And, you know, where is he? He, he was the next heir apparent, uh, and uh, I, I have not checked for the last couple of weeks, but he had a losing record, I know, through, I think, the middle part of June, and has not been pitching well. And so, I, I, how could so many people from the organization be so wrong? And I'm not saying he's not going to come in and have a great career, but why aren't they bringing him up at this point? The season is over. Why, why don't you bring Stevenson up? Find out what he's got, and give give a guy a, a taste of the big leagues. Because next year, Plato's going to be gone. You're going to have to have a rebuilt pitching staff. The only guy you have from from last year, you're going to have back. Because I think Leach's going to be gone too. You're going to have Homer Bailey coming off arm surgery. He's your only starting pitcher next year, and that, that's assuming he's healthy. So you better find out what you got in AAA, because it doesn't sound like it's much. Mark, a couple items before we get into this Pete Rose cut with Chris Russo. The St. Louis Cardinals became the fastest team to 50 wins since 2003. Are they as good as that shows they are? Yeah, I, I think they are. And don't, don't look what they're missing. They're missing their number one pitcher. That's like the, the Indians losing Kluber. Uh, That's like the Reds losing Cueto for the year. And look what they're doing. You can't, you can't fake that. That organization is so deep, and their scouting is so good. They make great trades. They, they draft well, on and on and on. And I, the Reds have been trying to emulate the Cardinals for a long time, and they've not been doing a very good job of it. Unfortunately, the Reds tried to, to get Walt Jockety to come over, but whatever Jockety learned in St. Louis, he's forgotten in Cincinnati, or maybe St. Louis was pretty smart when they got rid of him a few years ago. I don't know which one it is, but whatever's cooking in Cincinnati, uh, it's not working. And your question about the Cardinals, yeah, I think they're as good as that. And when you kind of pencil them in to be in first place and then worry about the wild card, I mean, that's, that's what it's been the last four or five years. And you know what's amazing also about the Cardinals, Mark, is not only did they lose Wainwright, but they traded their number two starter from a year ago in Shelby Miller. That's right. That's right. And they, they, what they do, 
they assemble a 25-man roster better than any team in baseball, in my opinion. They don't go after the best player. They don't go after the best second baseman. They go after a second baseman who can fit into their scheme. And Colton Wong is an example. He's a guy who they've, they've brought along slowly. Remember, he was sent out, I think, beginning of last year. And he's come back. He went down there and learned. And But they, they just make the right decisions. And that's what I admire about that organization. And frankly, there's not too many organizations in baseball like them. Mark, do you like the idea of Todd Frazier being in the home run derby? Oh, I guess because he's a hometown guy. Uh, but the history of that event means the second half of the season, he's probably going to hit six home runs and drive in 12 runs for the, for the second half of the year. I don't know what that event does, except it does screw up swings. If I was Todd Frazier, I wouldn't risk it. But, you know, because it's in Cincinnati, he's probably going to be in it. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Ryan Sandberg stepped down as manager of the Phillies. Were you surprised at that? No, uh, I wasn't surprised. No, I wasn't surprised. Uh, I, I was more surprised that somebody with Ryan Sandberg's background even took that job in the first place. That you couldn't see the writing on the wall with that team. What are you going to do with Chase Upley? What are you going to do? How about Ryan Howard? Those guys are not movable. And they still have a lot of money left in their contracts. And, again, I use them as the perfect example of what not to do with the team. But that that, that, that team is in deep trouble, and it's uh, it's unfortunate that Philly fans have to go through and probably another decade of, of building that organization back up because, again, of dumb contracts doled out by the ownership. Mark, this Pete Rose situation, we talked about it a lot last week, and there's a couple things that I want to bring up to you about it. First of all, um, I listen a lot to sports talk radio, especially nationwide, and CBS has got a, a lady on there, Amy Lawrence, that does the, the 2 in the morning till 6 in the morning overnight shift. And one of her questions last week I thought was fairly interesting, although she had a definite bias. She definitely thinks that... Pete Rose should not be allowed in the Hall of Fame and should never be allowed in Major League Baseball ever again. But the question that she raised was was an interesting one. Who belongs in the Hall of Fame first, Pete Rose or Alex Rodriguez? Well, I think Alex Rodriguez is what the general consensus was because he didn't bet on baseball. And using steroids has never been a criteria for officially not allowing a person into the Hall of Fame. So, statistically, of course, Pete Rose, but he broke the cardinal rule. A-Rod didn't. So that's a pretty easy question to answer because uh, Pete, theoretically, will never get into the Hall and he'll never be back in baseball. A-Rod just took medicine. <laughs> it's a big difference. You know what's funny, Mark, is that I know that's your your stance on it, and that's her stance on it, and that you said last week that you know that, that fan opinion may have a lot to do with it. Well, I've been on her poll. Pete Rose won easily, eighty to twenty. Eighty percent of the votes that came in during that that two to six hour, people said Pete Rose deserves to be in the Hall of Fame before Alex Rodriguez. And when I was looking at people that actually put a vote on Facebook, some of the comments that were coming in about this, Pete Rose wins hands down. It, it's not yeah, even you. close. 
to your point was, does he does deserve to be in the Hall of Fame and back in baseball? No, no. Is just that, does he deserve to be in the Hall of Fame before Alex or Alex Rodriguez? Which one deserves to go in first? Well, you're asking the question the wrong way. Alex Rodriguez is allowed to go into the Hall of Fame. Pete is not allowed to go into the Hall of Fame because of rules baseball set in place. They did not make using steroids the death penalty. And they did with Pete Rose. Statistically, they both deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. You you have to make the decision. If you, if you were a voter, would you let A-Rod in the Hall of Fame? Would I? Yeah. No. Why not? Why not? Because I think he did more to cheat the numbers than Pete Rose did. Well, but there's no proof of that. And there's no proof that the home runs he hit were not hit off a pitcher who was also on steroids. That's the problem. No, I, I agree. I, I know what you're saying, and you and I have always... You know, that's, that's the situation that... And that swings us into that interview that John Dowd did with Chris Russo this week that you heard, and I'm going to play it right now for our fans. And you're going to hear John Dowd get upset at Chris Russo on his serious radio interview, get upset and hang up on him. And here's that interview. Here's John Dowd, uh, author of the Dowd Report. Uh, his uh, investigative work, in large measure, uh, really put Pete away, and he deserves a lot of credit for that. And he says hello. John Christopher Russo, how are you today? Okay? I'm good, Chris. How are you? Doing well. All right, why do I need to make a big deal here? Uh, on this latest thing from 1986 with what ESPN outlined here yesterday. Why is this so important in your eyes? Well, I said there's several reasons it's important. Um, one, Pete is, you know, as of March, was before a new commissioner. He applied for reinstatement, and on, on at least two radio shows, um, he was asked if he bet on baseball as a player, and he said no, and that was a lie. So he's now lying again before another baseball commissioner when he's seeking readmission. Number two, um, this is the last piece in the Bernalini betting uh, on behalf of uh, Pete's behalf in 1986 when Pete was a player um, with the uh, organized crime bookmaker on Long Island. So that just solidifies you know, that piece, which to me is the most disturbing thing about the Rose case. Uh, as you would say in New York, the wise guys own Pete. Uh, he owned him as a player, and they owned him as a manager. Well, do you have some? You have evidence? Any evidence at all that the mob in New York made Pete pay, and as a result, he did not perform properly on the field to get their money back? No, no, no. Let me ask it this way. And at the time when you wrote the report, do you have evidence, did you produce ever any evidence, ever, that indicated that Pete bet against his own team? It doesn't matter. No, no, it matters to me as a sports fan. Do you, no, did I, you? I, I, I'm a sports fan. The rule is. Well, I know what the rule is, John. I'm not even asking ask about the rule. We know about the rule. I asked you a simple, I asked, John, I asked you a simple. John, I asked you a simple question. Can I have an answer, please? Did you find in your investigative report ever that Pete Rose bet against his team? I know. You did not. Okay. Do you think there is a difference between betting against your team and betting for your team? 
No. Oh, I totally disagree. Completely. I could not disagree with you more. And in the history well, of games... Well, up the floor. You can disagree all you want. Well, I think, I think most That's fans do, too, because... because well, you know what? That makes no sense whatsoever. Well, yes, it does, because the Black Sox scandals threw the World Series. The, well, the, the, the CCN... The World Series, but it doesn't make any difference. Did Pete Rose so in every... twenty-one coming out of the Black Sox scandal said, if you raise your on your team, you're gone. Well, yeah, but, but also, hey, but, but Landis didn't even invest it. But you know. Do you, the, 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 in, in, in Pete Rose, well, I'll ask, John, John, I'll ask, John, I'll ask you this way. This is to the bookmakers that the Reds were going to lose when he didn't bet on the Reds. Oh, how, come on, stop at that, that the Reds was going to lose. From 1963 to 1986, in an illustrious 23-year career, where he gave you supreme effort in every game he ever played, do you have any evidence that he didn't, that he took a pass, that he gave, that, that he that, that he made an out on purpose, that he made an error? Did you have any evidence in your long illustrious career of investigating this? Twenty-three years, you have a game, a World Series, a championship moment that Pete Rose did not give his best. Let me hear. It wasn't necessary. Well, I mean, see, was to find out if he bet on the Reds. He we know he bet on the Reds. All right, he bet on the Reds. Hey, he bet on the Reds. You think it? Let me ask you a question. Well, hey, hey, let me ask you this. If we found out, John, let me ask you this way. If we found, if we found out today that Michael Jordan bet on the Chicago Bulls to beat the Phoenix Suns in the 93 NBA Finals, do you think anybody would care? Did we lose him? Did he hang up the phone because he, I didn't agree with him? We try him again, Bill? To make, if it, and if it's my fault because I yelled at him, well, then that's a different story. Mark, what I found was incredulous about all this was that John Dowd spent all these years as an investigator for the FBI. He spent all these years answering the same questions about Pete Rose, and now all of a sudden, Chris Russo, with just a simple question about, did you have any proof that Pete Rose bet against the Reds, suddenly gets all upset and hangs up on him? I found that to be completely unbelievable. Well, it's true, but that, that part of the interview is a little out of context because uh, Chris Russo had been beating up John Dow for, for several minutes before that last question he asked. So, but I think John Dow has always been a, a pain in the ass, frankly. And whether or not, you know, Pete, the, the knowledge of Pete betting on the Reds, that cannot be new news. And he's trying to put the nail in Pete's coffin, you know, by, by making this somewhat of a new revelation. It's not. It's not a new revelation to baseball anyway. But like I said last week, it's a new revelation to Reds fans or, or to baseball fans in general. And that might impact public opinion, which in fact, may impact Major League Baseball's decision to let Pete in or not. But Dowd has always been, he's had an axe to grind against Pete since day one. Mark, do you see, let's get off this subject very quickly before we wrap up. Do you see the Reds making any deals any time before the end of July as we round into July, the trading deadline being July 31st? Do you see them making any deals here in the next week or two? Well, frankly, they play two really bad teams in the next six games. Well, Minnesota's not a bad team. They're, they're, they're playing over their heads, though. Uh, and then they got Milwaukee. That is a bad team in the next six games. The Reds lose three or four of those games, and I think the, the sale begins. 
Well, as far as the Indians are concerned this week, Mark, the Indians will be playing in Tampa Bay for the next three days. They'll be at Tampa Bay tomorrow, Wednesday, and Thursday afternoon, and then they go to Pittsburgh to take on the Pirates on Friday, Saturday afternoon, and Sunday afternoon. Be careful getting home, and we'll talk to you again next week, Mark. Have a good one, Dave. And that's going to put a wrap on another Ohio Baseball Weekly show. Thanks a lot for joining us here this evening. Don't forget, coming up this Thursday night on UltimateSportsTalk.com is the Ultimate Sports Talk Show. That's at 7 o'clock. We'll go over the world of sports with you on that one. But don't forget, again, next Monday night, we'll be back with another Ohio Baseball Weekly show. Our thanks to Mark Donahue, who is on the road here this evening, for joining us here tonight. But most of all, our thanks go out to you for listening and also to our producer, Greg Mitchell. Until next Monday night at 9 o'clock, I'm Dave Mitchell. Have a good night, everybody. The Wiz Kids want it. Bobby Thompson had done it. And Yogi read the comics all the while. Rock and roll was being born. Marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner, the national pastime went on trial. We're talking baseball. Lazuski Campanella talking baseball. The man and Bobby Feller, the scooter, the barber, and the nuke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque. Especially with. Mickey and the Duke.